Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. Saints, in Revelation chapter 21, speaking of the New Jerusalem, the Bible tells us that they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter into it, that is the new Jerusalem, the place where God and his people will dwell as it comes down onto the earth, I assume, in the place where Jerusalem is now or near it. And notice the nations, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. So nations are going to be here for a while. Notice verse 24, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. This is where there was no temple found, verse 22. This is Revelation 21, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of of it and the city had no need of the sun neither of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God did lighten it and the lamb is the light thereof the lamb of God and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it you know there are some who are saying that America is going to be destroyed because of the sin that America has committed and to at least some degree that is true but remember the wicked are the ones perpetrating the evil no matter what country on this fallen earth that it pertains to. In Egypt, God gave the children of Israel the light among the ten plagues of God in Egypt. God gave the children of Israel the light while the children of the world walked in darkness. It was the ninth plague, the plague of darkness upon the Egyptians, the ninth of the ten plagues plagues. Darkness was upon the Egyptians. Notice Exodus chapter 10, beginning in verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Notice, while God judged the wicked, he was blessing the righteous, while the children of Egypt, the Egyptians, which represents the world, the children that are outside of the kingdom of Christ, the people, were in darkness. God gave light, verse 23, in their 
dwellings, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now, I'm not pretending to or predicting exactly what's going to happen in America. Only God knows. And I believe I do want to assert this, though. God hears the prayers of his people, and that's our duty, not to curse the darkness, but to seek the Lord in repentance, turning from our own wicked ways and humbly submitting ourselves and our supplications to the Lord in prayer. I want to talk about today in this message, today's news in a biblical context or framework. You know, God says in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, this is a very important truth to behold in Holy Scripture. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. Remember, he says, the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all of my pleasure. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. And many of those things the Lord has prophetically told us in his word, such as in the book of Matthew, Jesus is speaking. And when his disciples asked him what would be the sign of his return, the first thing he said was that they would to take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. See, God already foretold these things, and so we don't have to be scared because we are prepared. We have the knowledge of God right there on the pages of Scripture for what's going on right now. And notice he says, see that you be not troubled. You see, if we're being troubled and fearful about these things and they're causing us to lose sleep and live in fear, we can know that God has a peace for us. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And Jesus says right here in verse 6, Matthew 24, see that you be not troubled. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 1, speaking of the return of Christ, Paul tells, the Holy Spirit through Paul tells the Thessalonians not to fear, to fear not, as Jesus so often used those words. Notice 2 Thessalonians, ye which are troubled, he says, rest with us, verse 7. Rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. This is going to be a sight to behold if there's ever been one. Jesus returning in flaming fire, doing what? Taking vengeance on them that know not God, those who have refused to be to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I have to agree with some who would say there's two classes that are coming up under the judgment of God, and it's going to be those who have never been saved, and also those that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. In other words, those who obey it, I believe that second class that we see perhaps delineated here would be those who are false confessors or professors. Titus 1.6 says it all when the Holy Spirit tells us through the pen of Paul that these people 
are those who have a mere form of godliness. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and unto every good work reprobate. Back to Second Thessalonians 1, now in verse 9, Jesus, he says, Paul says, to rest with us. You who are troubled, the Thessalonians were under great threat of affliction and persecution. But this also has a prophetic meaning for us right now. To You which are troubled, he says, rest with us. Isn't that what Jesus said? Didn't we just read in Matthew 24, verse 7, Jesus said, See that you be not troubled. Matthew 24, verse 7, our central text for the moment. So in Second in Thessalonians 1, Paul repeats the same truth. You who are troubled, rest with us. And then he speaks of the return of Jesus. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven, the ultimate event of all events, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What an absolute fabulous chapter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Back to Matthew chapter 24, you shall hear of wars and rumors of war. I mean, there's so much of that that has perpetually been transpiring for so long and continues today. I mean, as we speak, I believe it's Taiwan is being bullied again by China and so many other things concerning wars and rumors of wars that could break out at any time. Some believe, and they're probably correct, that World War III is about to start if it hasn't already. See that ye be not troubled. Come away with the Lord, beloved. Whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. Are you quiet from the fear of evil? If you will hearken to the Lord and come away with him and spend time in your prayer closet under the shadow of his wing, finding your refuge and nourishment. You know, it comes to mind when David was in the pasture worshiping and seeking the Lord and tending to the sheep, his brothers, the big, handsome, very intelligent brothers of David were in the city. They were up on all the intel, if you will, of things that were going on when Israel, the people of God, were under a threat. And yet none of them could take on Goliath. And, you know, we have the same thing today. We have a lot of people that spend all of their time trying to figure out all the signs and keeping their constant hand on the pulse of everything that's going on in the world. But they're not like David, a worshiper who is singing and playing and praising the Lord. David was a worshiper, and that's how he could be an ultimate powerful warrior. One comes before the other. In fact, it's interesting that the book of Ephesians breaks down into about three sections, worship, work, warfare, and that goes by the double chapters, if you will. First and second chapter are about worship, and then I guess the third and fourth break down into work, the work of the Lord, and then the fifth and sixth 
concern the worship of the Lord. You know, David was a worshiper. He was beholding the face of God every day in fellowship. As we read in Psalm, here's a glimpse. There's so many scriptures on that topic. And oh, how essential it is for us to be in the presence of the Lord, to seek the Lord, to seek him in his strength, to seek his face continually. First Chronicles 16, 11. Notice Psalm 17, 5. These are uttered out of the mouth of the man after God's own heart. Let me ask you something, beloved. Do you have a heart after God? Think about it. If we don't have a heart after God, we basically just have a form of godliness, a religion. Psalm 17, 5. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. You see, everybody who beholds the face of the great bridegroom is going to awake, if you will, come through into the next life and into eternity, out of the temporal into eternity, in the likeness of Christ. Job chapter 19, verse 25 comes to mind. For I know, he said, that my Redeemer liveth. Do you know that Jesus lives? And are you beholding his face, beloved, as Scripture speaks of, especially out of the mouth of the great King David, who had a heart after God? Acts 13, 22, the Bible doesn't even mention his sin there that he committed. Doesn't that give us encouragement? We can forget those things which are behind. And reach forth unto those things which are before us, pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.13 and 14, I encourage you to open your Bible today, stand before the Lord and declare that you're cutting off and forgetting the things which are behind, good and bad, and you're reaching forth to his face and to those things which are before you, you're pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Job nineteen twenty five. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. What does that tell us? Well, several things, including that Jesus is going to conquer all his enemies and stand at the latter day when they're all vanquished. 1 Corinthians 15 he puts his foot down on them. He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. God never has and never will. It's impossible for him to lose a battle. Be still and know that he is God, the scripture says. God is going to win, and so are all those who do things his way. They live a crucified life with Christ, abiding in him, and they have the fruit of his love and the good works shining forth in their life. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus says, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 24, back in verse 6, again, ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation. That not only deals with Russia, China, Israel, America, etc. That deals with ethnic groups. The wicked love to incite within a nation different ethnic groups to hate one another. We've got some posts on that with audios or podcasts. Just put in the search box on safeguardyoursoul.com. Nation shall rise against nation. That's an interesting look at what Jesus is saying there. And kingdom against kingdom. See, people naturally in the flesh... Not the godly, but the ungodly. They like to divide into different sectors, you know, denominate themselves from others 
But the king's kids, Jesus's kids, know that there's only one human race. There's only one human race. And there's only one division between them. And that's those that are in Christ and those that are not in Christ. The scripture says in Romans 2.11, there is no respect of persons with God. All men are created equal. For nation shall rise against nation. And, and by the way, let me say this. 13 times Jesus said, love one another, love one another, love one another. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows that I believe we're definitely there now. Perhaps, if not, getting ready to be. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. We definitely see that happening. Has been for a while and gets worse every day. That's why it's so important to follow Jesus, beloved saints, not men, not men. No, I told a guy the other day, as I find myself telling so many lately, usually one-on-one, I tell you, Jesus wants you to repent, lay down your life, and follow him. And notice I don't ever say, because neither the Jesus or the apostles, to go find a church. No, get in the word, know God for yourself, live a life of prayer, a crucified life of prayer, and learn of God by studying to show your own self-approved unto God. You do it. Second Timothy 2.15. Rightly dividing the word of truth. The only way you can rightly divide the word of truth and know of a certainty the truth of God and that you're on that narrow path that leads to life through the narrow gate is to get your own eyes, mind, and heart in the word of God. You know, the word of God cannot get into us unless or until we get into it. The king is coming, ready or not, saints. So many who are good church members will not be ready. They've allowed themselves to be swept away in a tidal wave of deception, not realizing that they're being used as pawns to build some man's ministry kingdom instead of obeying Jesus Christ's great commission. Now, I didn't say that I don't encourage people to fellowship. I go sit down with them weekly or get on the phone with them weekly for years, even decades with some, to fellowship with them and pray specifically and and share and and rejoice in the Holy Scriptures and what God's doing. And maybe when they're down to pray for them or I am or, you know, but the Bible says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That doesn't mean forsake not the going to church on Sunday. That's not what he said. The early church fellowship from house to house daily. You know, when we compartmentalize church or fellowship with God, that very premise that creates great problems because we begin to set Jesus aside instead of a living a lifestyle like the New Testament saints did. When is the last time you, friend, read the book of Acts? I didn't say it's wrong to go fellowship on Sunday morning, but that should just be one part of our everyday fellowship with other believers. And besides, personally, I don't tell people go find the church because 99% of them are corrupt. They're apostate. They want you to sit down, shut up, pay your tithe, and just grow, you know, a half inch every 10 years. Or really, you're just lukewarm and you've already fallen away. And you don't have any real life with Christ. As I mentioned in previous podcasts, I met a guy that was trying to tell me how wonderful his pastor is recently. We hear that so often. And we don't hear them talking about how wonderful Jesus is, which the Bible says he's wonderful. In Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, he's the wonderful counsel. Counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the ever 
everlasting father. But we don't hardly ever. See, what does that tell you? These people have been sold into a, a man's vision and kingdom. You shall have known the gods before you, the scripture says. All men are wicked. Jesus is wonderful. That's the real score of scripture. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know. And that, improve, that includes you and I and every pastor out there. God's not impressed. And I asked this fellow, I said, you know, let me ask you this. How many of the people that you fellowship with at that church actually have a real life of a disciple every day and are full of Christ, love, joy, and peace overflowing through their own fellowship with him? And that overflow includes evangelizing the lost. You know, the conversation got real quiet right at that point. The Holy Spirit was working. The word of truth was cutting. Are you authentic or are you just a good church member, friend? Because so many church members are going straight to hell. They have no fruit of a true disciple. Best thing you may be led to do by the Lord, I can't speak for you or for him, but it's to get away from that. Learn to seek God yourself and live an organic life. No additives. Fellowship with other believers every day. That's what the early church did. They gathered house to house daily into Acts 2 and continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, in prayer, breaking of bread, and fellowship. Not in that order, but that's the four things. Acts 2.42. And many false prophets, Jesus said, shall arise and shall deceive many. And you see, this fellowship we're talking about is going to assure that your love does not wax cold. Notice verse 11. And because iniquity or sin may abound, and all of the things he just mentioned in the previous verses of these last days, the love of many shall wax cold. How many of you, like myself, know people that were once on fire, as we call it, for Jesus, full of the Lord, and yet now they've waxed cold? And I've believe that's what the modern church does to you. That's the fruit of it. It puts you in a lukewarm state. You're depending on the pastor. You're not studying the word yourself. He's not even reading from the real Bible. He's reading a fake Bible. Notice some brother just put out a list here of some of the characteristics of the modern church. And he has just a list of things. Notice another gospel, Galatians 1, 6 through 9 is what you hear in the modern church. But most people don't realize it's another gospel because they don't know the gospel themselves. If you ask the average Christian who's been saved 10 or more years, explain the gospel to me. This is churchgoers, not real Christians. You know, they couldn't speak for 30 seconds or a minute on this. They don't have any scripture. Scripture in them. Here's the second thing false salvation. And he says, You're still hellbound. You're not even saved. False Bibles, corrupted text, lies. I mean, how many local churches do you know that go that read the King James Bible? No, everybody's got a different fake Bible, another version. And the only thing that needs many versions is a lie. False preachers, antichrist. He continues, false doctrines, teachings, or doctrines of devils. False signs, healings, dreams, tongues, visions, false prophecies, lying signs and wonders are all from Satan. I would refer you to Jeremiah 23 and 2 Thessalonians 2. What he says there is truth. Also, false believers putting on a mere form of godliness. They are children of the devil. And then finally, he says, your own thoughts, your own rationalizations, your own belief systems, contrary to the almighty God's holy Bible, he says, the King James Bible. Then he says, get saved now. Repent for real, in other words. So in Matthew 24, and we are looking at, let's see, verse 11. Many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. That ought to scare every one of us real bad. 
in the fear of the Lord. The love of many shall wax cold. Wow. Will you be a casualty in this late last hour? Will you fall away just before the Lord comes to grant you eternal glory with himself? Notice what he says next. This is the words of the Son of God. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Wow. What could Jesus have possibly meant other than what he said? Hmm. Nothing. Unless you endure to the end, you're not going to be receiving final salvation as Jesus goes on to teach in the very next chapter, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 25, when he speaks of the ten virgins, five foolish and five wise. Guess what? Those whose love waxed cold, it waxed cold toward the great bridegroom Jesus. They didn't seek his face. He wasn't important enough to them. He wasn't important enough to them to know his word and be fueled by it every day. So guess what? They fell away and they were shut. Those five foolish virgins were shut out of the eternal bridal chamber, which is a new Jerusalem, and they were vanquished into the bowels of eternal damnation. Make no mistake. You must endure to the end to be saved, not in your own works. That'll be the fruit of it, good works, but in your worship toward the Lord. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything else follows. But this is a two-way relationship, like it or not. Some people don't like that because they don't want any personal responsibility. They just want to be saved, wear their little tag so they think, check punch their little card. You know, they don't want to be bothered with anything else. They don't want to, you know, follow Jesus as he prescribed and as you must if you're really following and going to know him. That oneness with him he prayed for and the Father, John 17, that abiding relationship without which you will be cast into the fire, John 15, 1 through 6, enduring to the end, denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and following him. They don't want to any personal accountability. They don't want to hear it. Don't disturb my little, they're basically saying, don't disturb my little eternal security party. I want my cake and to eat it too. Those people are going to hear, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Notice the devil was Lucifer, who was created by God, perfect in all his ways, and then later kicked out of heaven for his rebellion. Tell me all about once saved, always saved. Any Bible believer is going to laugh in your face. Better yet, they're probably to be very sad that you've believed a lie that could very well lead to your own damnation, just like it did with Adam and Eve. They were in perfect fellowship with God. God made them perfect and said, this is good and very good. And then Satan came along and said, you shall not surely die if you disobey God, even though he said you're going to be kicked out of his presence, you're going to surely die. Genesis 2, 17. And so they took the bait. Satan said, basically, you're once saved, always saved. You're eternally secure, man. You can live like you want, dude. You shall not surely die. He added one three-letter word, which led to the fall of mankind. And we have snakes claiming to be representing Christ, preaching this same satanic doctrine of devils. As we see Satan himself, undeniable, irrefutable, and incontrovertible teaching in the very garden of creation, which led to sin and separation of God's creation of mankind in his own image. Genesis 2.17, Genesis 3.4 cannot be contradicted. It's absolutely, that's what happened. Doesn't matter if you like it or not. The righteous love the word of God. 
that's not grievous to them. They joyfully receive it and let the truth lead them wherever it may lead them. They follow it because Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, sanctify them, Father, through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The true man of God, the true woman of God, the true disciple of Christ says with Paul, let God be true, the word of God. And every man, beginning with ourselves, a liar, Romans 3, 4. Notice he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. This is exactly what Jesus taught to every one of the seven churches, not the lost. Wake up. Revelation 2 and 3. He promised that only those that overcame sin and Satan and the world would be with him. To everyone at the end of every one of his letters to the seven churches, notice in 2-7, to him that overcometh. Here's just a mere sampling. The last verse of his letter. To him that overcometh. Uh Uh-oh, what? Yeah, as the band Harvest used to sing, according to this truth, only the overcomers shall reign on high. To him that overcometh, the only way to do it is the way he prescribed, by the cross. Galatians 2.20, when is the last time you heard your favorite preacher talk about the crucified life? Oh, I'm not talking about just one little small mention of it. I'm talking about a whole message on it and a continual preaching of it, this central message of the original gospel. You must be crucified with Christ, as Paul said. Nevertheless, he said, I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. God will give you power to overcome. Only he can, but only if you do it his way. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, if any man will follow me, he must do what? Deny himself. Take up his cross daily. Not on Sundays, daily, and follow me. Luke 9, 23 and 24. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which Revelation speaks of, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, don't miss glory with God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the, the new Jerusalem for this world, my friend. Don't do it. Read Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And man, just be blessed to see yourself there and pray right there. Lord, I want to be with you forever. Change my life. Unite my heart to fear thy name, O God. Touch me to the depth, the very core of my being with your holy fear, O God. To turn me away from those things that do not please you because you are holy Holy, holy, grant fresh repentance, Lord, to the blessing of everlasting life as only you can do, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. And that's a great page on Safeguard Your Soul, Fresh Start. It's on the one of the top menu bars. Highly encourage you to read it, to lay down your life afresh and follow Jesus. Your life's going nowhere but down, dismal, depressed, miserable. That's how those are who once knew God and no longer follow him on his terms. Revelation 2.11 to the second church, the church in Smyrna. Jesus says, he that hath an ear. Notice the promises and the conditions here. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that over, there it is again. You got to overcome. Ah, you can't let your love wax cold for God and others. When it's hot for God, it'll be poured out on others. It'll be hot for others. He that overcometh, there's a condition, shall not be hurt of the second death, which is the lake of fire, Revelation 20. And to the third church, I'll just do this one as an example also, and that'll be it. But you can read read Revelation 2 and 3 afresh. So far, we've talked about reading the book of Acts afresh and see how the earliest followers of Jesus followed him, including the apostles in the early church. Before all the bureaucracy of local churches entered in, you'll see organic lifestyle Christianity. 
very refreshing. And pray. It'd be a great thing to pray, Lord, strip all falsity out of me. Let me be thy authentic follower, Lord Jesus. That's a great prayer. In fact, we named a recent book, Authentic. It's really been changing a lot of lives. I meet with a brother every week or two that has been underlining nearly every word in that book because there's so much scripture. That's really all that matters. But it's changing his life, and you can see it. It's beautiful. God's Word is. That's what we need, the Word of God. And so we're not promoting books. We don't make money on books. We spend more sending them out than we make. And some of your love offerings, some of it goes to help in that regard. We get names every week of incarcerated men and women, and we drop books to them. It's a blessing. And we covet your prayers for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach in this last hour. Jesus says to the church of Pergamum after he finishes his letter, as he finishes, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, saith unto the churches. Let it be, Lord, in Jesus' name. Do that in us, Lord. Let us hear. Then he says, To him that overcome. There it is again. You got to overcome, man. Why is nobody talking about this? You love this freak you call a pastor. He's nothing but a little coward who refuses to preach the hell, repentance, holiness, being ready for Christ, the daily cross. You think this guy's wonderful? He's wicked. He's a false teacher. He's reading. He's blinded. And it's proven that he's reading from some fake Bible. Come on, man. Time to repent yourself. God will open your eyes as you turn your heart to him. Second Corinthians chapter 3. It's only when the heart of the man turns to the Lord that he removes the blinders. I believe it's verse 16, 2 Corinthians 3. Jesus says to him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written. Why would anybody want to miss that and go to hell to burn consciously forever, which no man knoweth saving or except he that receiveth it? Jesus is going to give us a new name. I don't begin to understand that, but it's going to be a glorious because God doesn't have anything but good, blessed, amazing things to give his children. But you got to meet the conditions. You got to engage in a relationship with the great bridegroom. Let me ask you, what kind of a fool would marry somebody? Because they got engaged to them. That represents your initial salvation. And yet that person, while they were engaged, didn't pay them any attention, didn't care for them. Nobody in their right mind, much less the son of God, is going to go through with a marriage to somebody that doesn't even care for them. You see, if you're not in the word, you're not lifting your heart and hands to God in prayer and seeking his face, crying out to him and telling him how much you love him, begging him to break you. You're not a wise virgin believer. You're a foolish believer, virgin believer. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Notice this, how he ends this passage. Jesus said, and this gospel... I love this. Let's turn a corner here, saints. Seems like that's what Jesus is doing here. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Those who are not waxing cold, but they're waxing hot. They're seeking Christ more fervently as we see the day approaching. They're preaching the gospel. And it's going to the ends of the earth. And I believe, now I may be wrong, please correct me, saints. I'm not trying to be opinionated, but it would seem that this is now being fulfilled because we have the World Wide Web, right? The internet. Man, we're reaching people all over the world in our ministry. You can look at the top 25 countries that are accessing the website 24 hours a day to the tune of tens of thousands a month. I mean, I'm just talking from experience of this little operation, but it's being preached all over the world. I'm personally preaching on on a daily basis to people all over the world, as many of you are. 
And you see, it's those who refuse to wax cold, those who never take a vacation on God. They seek his face daily. He's their everything. He's more important to them than their necessary food, Job 23, 12. They behold his face in righteousness, as we read earlier, Psalm 17, 15. They're enduring to the end with Christ. They fear him. They love him. That's their passion. He is their passion. He is their king. They will have no other gods before him because all idolaters without exception are going to hell. You don't have a clue about God if you don't realize that. Look at the first two commandments. Look at every, nearly every list in the Bible of soul damning sins. Idolaters is in there. Revelation 21, 8 is one of them. All idolaters are going to the lake of fire. If Jesus isn't the first love of your life, he's calling you to repent, Revelation 2, 4, and 5, before it's too late. You are an idolater if he's not first. Well, brother, I don't worship no statue. You worship yourself. That's why you won't put him first. It's time to repent before it's too late now. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be, and I believe it is being preached for a witness, and then shall the end come. That's what's going on now, and that's what's most important. Again, some are saying that America is going down in flames. She has sinned grossly. Well, I got news for you. There's no such thing as a nation after Adam and Eve. And by the way, all nations came after after Adam and Eve. And we recall Genesis 10 and 11 with Babylon, the wickedness there. We see that repeating itself today on the earth. But all nations were fallen, have been. In the days of Jesus, they were murdering the firstborn boys or the all baby boys under two years old. God had to tell Joseph and Mary to go to Egypt to hide out for a while, remove them from that so that Jesus would not be killed as a little boy. We got abortion today. I mean, I'm just touching lightly on this and maybe opening up some thought for you to explore deeper. But all nations are wicked. Yeah, we have sinned against God. We've murdered 60 million babies, and God can't bless a nation that murders their own. At the same time, that does not negate that there is a body, a remnant of believers in this nation, and that God hears our prayers. And I don't have to know. Nobody knows exactly how this is going to unfold, but I do know that God says, pray for your leaders. That's an instruction. We need to stop trying to play God, I believe, friends. Either way, okay, you got some folks saying it's all over. We're going down to the toilet hole. You know, I understand that in great measure and see where they come. And yet you got these other ones that think that we're going to have this great reset and, you know, all of the wickeds are going to have to give up their money and we're going to have it. And that's definitely, I don't see that happening. But we got to just pray, guys. And, and I believe as we are, I believe God's people are praying. I'm going to tell you that as an encouragement. You know, I'm not going to fluff it. If anything, I'm a little bit too harsh on things sometimes. But I'm seeing it. I'm in fellowship with it. They're seeing the evil coming upon us. It's no different than in the days of Daniel and the three Hebrew children when they started writing laws with a specific demonic purpose. The hand of Satan was behind it all to destroy the three Hebrew children and the children of Israel, and God sustained them in the fire. They lost nothing except the ropes that bound them. Hallelujah. In Egypt, glory to God, the wicked were plagued with darkness in the ninth plague, and God gave them light. In the midst of evil, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, the scripture tells us. In the book of Esther, we read of Mordecai and the beloved Esther, the beautiful queen, we see that Haman, a wicked animal. Somebody says, why do you call him an animal? Well, wolves. The Bible calls him wolves. Isn't the wolf an animal? God calls him natural brute beast. I believe it's in Second Peter. I think that's in within range, permittable biblical language. So Haman sought to have all the people of God, beginning with Mordecai and his nephew, 
Queen Esther, their necks cut off. But God's people sought him. They sought him. And guess whose neck got cut off? Haman and his family. God rooted those animals out of the earth. I love scriptures like Job. You know, the Bible says God is a man of war. You know that about the Lord? Exodus 15, verse 3. Listen to this. Job 5, verse 3. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his habitation. May the curse of the Lord be upon the wicked. Also, chapter 3, of the book of Proverbs, in verse 33, listen to this. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. Notice, in the house. In other words, wherever he tries to hide, even when he goes home and closes his own door, he's cursed, miserable, he's unrepentant. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Isn't that exactly what we saw in Exodus 10, where the children of Egypt were plagued with darkness. They couldn't see anything in front of their own face, okay? Like outer darkness, which is what is one of the descriptions of hell. That is frightening right there, by the way. So notice the division between the sheep and the goats here, Matthew 25 also. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. The children of Israel had light while the wicked were in darkness. And that's how it is spiritually right now. That's how it is. People do things because of what the root of their life is. If Christ isn't their root, they're in darkness. And Jesus himself said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Notice it's because their deeds were evil. John three nineteen through 21, he just said that those that don't believe on him are condemned already. Verse 18. Then he says, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. His name is Jesus, the light of the world. John 8, 12. And men loved darkness rather than light. See, it's intentional because their deeds were evil. See, their deeds are evil and they don't want to repent and change. Jesus said, enter ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction and many there be which go in thereat. But straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Jesus also says, many be called, but few chosen. Will you be chosen? Will you be one of those who chooses to follow Jesus? See, he's going to choose those who choose him. We see in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, this is really interesting, that it is those who choose Jesus who are going to be chosen in the end. You do have a part in this. It's not all God. It was all his in redeeming us by the blood of a lamb and drawing us to him and initiating this relationship. But just like no man, and the Bible uses this illustration, is can force a woman or whatever no good man would try to force a woman to be with him. The great bridegroom isn't going to force his bride upon him. He already told us that half of them that were engaged to the bridegroom are going to be rejected. Wow. These shall make war with the Lamb, Revelation 17, 14, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him, listen to this one, they that are with him are what? Three things. Called, God provided the sacrifice for our sins. He's the one that drew us to him, but notice also, and chosen, and here's the one that's a nightmare to the Calvinist and eternal securist, faithful. Wait a minute. Jesus, the great bridegroom, requires us not to 
commit spiritual adultery by having anything in anyone first love other than him. Call chosen and faithful. That right there is another nail in the coffin of the heretical doctrine of devils called eternal security and once saved, always saved. Call chosen and faithful. Oh boy, wake up party. Call chosen faithful. God does the first two and you do the last one. Faithful. Are you faithful to Jesus? He'll never fail you or forsake you, but what about you? Can God trust you? Do you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength as he commanded you to do? Or do you love yourself? It's either one or the other. No man can serve two masters. No man. As we come to a close here, saints, well, pretty close to a close, I believe. Notice Romans 11, 20 through 22. Well, because of unbelief, they, that is the Jews, were broken off, and thou, Gentiles, standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear, for if God spared not the natural branches, the Jews, God divorced them, Jeremiah 3, 8. Take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Make no mistake, saints, this is a divine threat. Verse 22, as we finish this little passage, behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. Notice some people go in the Bible, they only look for the little dainty promises they believe they can use to the exclusion of the rest of the Bible. So they don't look at the goodness and severity of God. They don't look honestly for the Lord's word and the fullness thereof. Oh no, you see, and it takes a whole Bible to make a whole disciple. But they're just looking for the good little verses they can pluck out of context and use for their own self-serving purpose because their God is their belly. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity, the judgment of God on them which fell, severity, severe judgment, but toward the goodness, if, if, Thou continue in his goodness. There it is. That speaks of initial and final salvation. You got to endure to the end to be saved. Otherwise, thou also shall be cut off. What could cut off mean other than what it means? Cut off, separated, and thrown into the fire. We see that throughout Scripture. So men love darkness rather than light because their own deeds are evil. Everyone, verse 20, John 3, that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. He doesn't want to change. They're unrepentant, full of pride. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest. Man, just get them all out in the open. Get it all out in the light. Amen. All your darkness. Get it into the light of Christ with Christ. Tell him what you did. He already knows it. Don't say it's a mistake. Name it for the sin it's named in the King James Bible. Man up. Get honest. Jesus said only those of a good and honest heart are going to be with him. Luke eight fifteen. Honest. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsake them, he shall have mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. The man of God is a man that doeth truth. He comes to the light, verse 21, John 3, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God through and through, cleansed, redeemed, full of the Lord's spirit. We'll close with Psalm 126. A song of degrees reminds me of the song of when the saints go marching in. Here it is. When the Lord turned again, the captivity of Zion, his people is what Zion means. We were like them that dream. Wow. They were just astonished when God flipped the script on the enemy and rescued his children. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. Oh, when the saints go marching into the new Jerusalem, into glory with Jesus. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great 
things for them. The heathen were even saying that. Hallelujah. I remember a time I was ministering the word of God and the Holy Spirit was so all over that situation. It's about 10 or 15 men listening. And one of the heathen said, wow. He said this in these exact words. He said, the Holy Ghost is moving in this place tonight. And he meant it. I just got chills again right now. Hallelujah. So the heathen were even testifying of the Lord's goodness among themselves. Verse 3, this is only a six-verse chapter, and they're short verses. Psalm 126, verse 3, the Lord hath done great things for us, wherefore we are glad. What has God done for you, beautiful brother and sister? What can you stop today and celebrate what he's already done for you? If you're like me, you got some unanswered prayers. But I wonder if God isn't saying, son, daughter, I want, can you stop and sit in my lap and just thank me and praise me for what I've already given you? And the covetous heart is not content. You either are one or the other, content or covetous. And the content heart, the person that is heaven bent on cultivating a spirit of thanksgiving and gratefulness that the Lord so values and aggrandizes, will stop and say, Lord, thank you for what you've already given me. I love you, Jesus. You're my all in all, Lord Jesus. Isn't that what we love our kids to do, especially when they're small? Come sit in your lap and just tell you how much they love you. I got a good friend named Tim. He's got a little five-year-old boy who's just the spitting image of his dad. Recently spending time with that family, wonderful family. I've known Tim for many years. And his little boy came in and demanded his daddy's presence. And his dad said, Tim said, what do you want, son? He said, I just want to tell you I love you, Daddy. I mean, it could not have been more precious. Jesus said, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Wow. That ought to be something. I'm not even going to try to expound upon that. The innocence, the humility, the dependency, and the love of a little child. What a blessing. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Those that do what's right now, no matter what, how difficult it is under the persecution and the assailments. Is that a word? I don't know. The assailing of Satan come prison or death, we're going to reap in joy for eternity because our Savior is going to stand on the earth in the final day and forever. Job 19.25. Then he finishes this psalm. He says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, weeping men win men. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. Perhaps that's speaking of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. We must always be putting it forth. Philippians 2.16 speaks of holding forth the word of life in this last day. Philippians 2. 16, right? Yeah, holding forth. Well, let's see. Let's start in verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. Aren't you glad God's working in your life? As you work out or walk out, you're not working for it. You're walking it out. Your own salvation with fear and trembling, not somebody else's, but yours. God is working in you, beloved saint, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. You have a relationship with the creator of all that is, who sent his only begotten son, actually Jesus himself, the creator and sustainer of all life, came and died for our sins to give you a relationship with him. And you do have one if you're born again and abiding in Christ and he's working in you. 
both the willing to do of his good pleasure. You don't have to figure it out. Just abide in him. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, verse 14, that you may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation. There's that separation of dark and light. Again, you're living in the light with he who is the light, Jesus Christ, and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, is cleansing you from all sin because you're walking in the light with Jesus and the Father. First John 1, verse 3 and 7. So it's in the midst of the crooked and wicked generation in which we live here in America, among whom you shall shine as lights in the world. I mean, the dark it gets, the greater that light is going to show up. Notice this, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Notice, why would Paul be saying that if there weren't any possibility of those believers who he led to Jesus and discipled could fall away? He would never be saying something like this. It's not automatic, folks. It's only automatic if you continue to engage and work out, not for, work out, walk with Jesus. Jesus abided him so that you bear fruit and that proves you have a relationship with him, good fruit, and you're not cast into the fire for not abiding in him. John 15, 6, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause. Also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Let us hold forth the word of life. Let us weep, fast and pray and weeping, mourning for our sins, perhaps, and for those in the world who need to be saved and believers who need to return to the Lord. Let us go forth, verse 6, as we close, Psalm 126, weeping, praying, laboring to see men united in a rooted and grounded relationship with our Lord Jesus, bearing precious seed, that is, holding forth the word of God. We shall doubtless come again in eternity, rejoicing, bringing his sheaves, that means harvest, with him. Remember that song? Thank you for giving to the Lord. It's staged in heaven, for I am a life that was changed. Remember that one? What a beautiful song. Jesus is coming, saints. I want you to, again, read the book of Acts afresh and read Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters in the Bible. Father, we love you, Lord. We ask you to set us apart unto thee. As David prayed, we pray again, Lord, unite our hearts to fear thy name. Give us hearts of flesh. Take away the stony places, Lord. Let us be men and women of God who love you like a little child in innocency and purity of heart and in full dependence upon thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several, many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and you're prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say 
together in the words of Revelation 22. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.